Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you this morning and a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Hi, mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love you very much. This morning, uh, we're going to get into a very, very short sermon series out of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Now, we're going to look at this just for two Sundays, today, May 10th, and then also next Sunday, May 17th, before we get into a longer sermon series that will cover much of the rest of the summer. And the reason why I decided to do Habakkuk during these couple weeks is it's been such an impactful book for me during this time in uh, this pandemic and during all of our self-isolation and quarantines. The book of Habakkuk is describing a world in very troubling times. Uh, Habakkuk, the prophet, sees that his country is going to experience some great difficulty, very troubling times, massive crop failures, food shortages, exile into other countries who come and invade them, economic collapse, and lots of just international toil, turmoil. Uh, so his, his future feels very unknown. It's very confusing to him. And so his world is not that different than ours is right now, is it? Uh, we're asking questions. Will we be able to find internships or jobs? Will we be able to care for our families? Will we, uh, around the world, people are asking about food shortages by the end of the year. We are in troubling times. And as our nation continues to struggle with this pandemic, I thought that Habakkuk is just an incredible place to go and wrestle with God because Habakkuk wrestles with God. He wrestles with God about the troubling times that he sees in his world. And God tells Habakkuk the way through. Not only, not only does Habakkuk start off with complaints and frustrations and questions and challenges for God, by the end, even if he, he says, even if I should lose even more than what we've already lost, I will rejoice in the Lord. And the Lord has told him, here's the way through troubling times. In chapter 2, verse 4, of Habakkuk, God says, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. God gives the way through. And here is the secret that Habakkuk reveals to us, his great assertion about faith. In the most terribly troubling times, we believe that no event, no matter how catastrophic, fails to find a place in God's loving purposes for humanity. Do you believe that? No event, no troubling time, no matter how catastrophic, will fail to find a place in God's loving purposes for humanity. And that seems so counterintuitive. The assertion that faith, this confidence and conviction, can be ours is truly transformative if we have it. When you look around and you see all that's happening in our society, when you're shaking with fear about the future, when you're not sure what God is doing, can you still be confident in him? Can you still actually move on the path further up and further into joy? Or do the circumstances eradicate our faith and our joy? This is what we're going to look at as we go over the next two weeks, thinking about the ways that God shows Habakkuk how to deal with troubling times. So we're going to do two sermons this week, Living by Faith in Troubling Times, and next week, Rejoicing in God in Troubling Times. And 
so let's consider what it means to live by faith in troubling times. And today we're going to especially look at some of the verses in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Habakkuk. So if you're new to the Bible, or even if you've been around the Bible for a while, Habakkuk might be very new to you. You could go uh, much of your life without ever hearing a sermon on Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is a very short prophet, uh, three chapters found in between a couple other short prophets, Nahum and Zephaniah. So if you need to look it up in your table of contents in your Bible, uh, go ahead, because I'd love for you to follow along with me as we go through the text. It'll be easier to see if we do. So we're going to start in Habakkuk chapter 1. And we're going to look at two things this morning in Habakkuk 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Living by faith in troubling times. How do we do it? How can we live by faith when everything seems to be falling apart? When life is full of questions and challenges and confusions and we wonder, what is God doing? Well, we can resonate with Habakkuk because he's in that very same place. We're going to see that living by faith in troubling times means facing our confusion. But living by faith in troubling times also means finding our confidence and acting on our conviction. So two things. First, we've got to look at our confusion. Then we'll look at how we can have confidence and conviction, which is the very definition of faith. Confidence and conviction. So first, let's look at these these confusing things, these confusing realities. Living by faith in troubling times means facing our confusion with God. Now Habakkuk does this. If you're there with me in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, we're going to start in verse 2 the, to give some background. Let's see how this works. Habakkuk opens with a dialogue. Really, Habakkuk is a prayer journal. We're watching Habakkuk uh, go back and forth with God. This is his prayer journal. We're basically reading... Um, it's a mini Job, uh, where Job was dealing with uh, personal troubling times through personal grief and loss. Habakkuk is dealing with national troubling times. He's, he's talking with God not just about personal loss, but about his whole nation and the troubling times that they're in. And so the book of Habakkuk opens with two dialogues. It goes Habakkuk, God, Habakkuk, then God again. They go back and forth. And Habakkuk is very confused and upset with what he sees going around him in his society. Uh, it doesn't seem to match up with what he knows of God's personality. So chapter 1, verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? So clearly he's been doing this a while. He's been crying out to God in prayer. How long must I keep calling out to you for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out to you, violence, but you don't save us. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are ever before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In Habakkuk's case, he sees that there's rampant wrongdoing and injustice in his, his society. And he wonders, why is it God doing something about this? Why is it God setting things right? Neighbors are fighting against neighbors. People are causing all sorts of problems for one another. And these are God's people. They say they're God's people, and yet God seems silent. He doesn't seem to be making anything better or helping or saving them. And so Habakkuk is asking a question, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? How can, you, how can you tolerate this level of brokenness, God? How can you tolerate this level of sin and evil in the world? He looks around at his broken world, and he longs for it to be better. But he doesn't see God helping, and so he's confused. He's deeply troubled. Isn't that the case for many of us? We wonder, God, what are you doing in this time? 
what are you doing in this pandemic? What are you doing with me personally? Some of the things that I've planned on, I've counted on, they're, they're not going to work out. What are you doing? God answers, but his response is actually even more troubling in some respects. He says in verse 5, this is God responding to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe even if you were told. Which I think is kind of funny. God says, look, if, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, I'm, I, but I'm going to tell you. So now he goes on to tell him, I'm raising up the Babylonians. The ruthless, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people, a law unto themselves. They promote their own honor. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their God. What does God say? He says that in response to your, uh, well, Habakkuk, you're praying about something that I'm actually already working on. But you may not like it. You won't even believe it when I tell you what I'm doing. Your society is corrupt. But my answer to that is I'm raising up the Babylonians. This incredibly arrogant, proud nation that he says their own strength is their God. They're all about their own strength, their own success, their own ability to conquer others. And so God says he's going to correct the injustices in, the, in Judah, the, the nation of Judah where Habakkuk is, through this other even more corrupt nation. And so Habakkuk is, is stunned. God isn't going to leave uh, injustice unpunished, but he's going to do it in a way that seems even more counterintuitive. Habakkuk is utterly stunned. So he cries out to God again in verse 12 and 13. This dialogue carries on uh, through verse 17, but I'm just going to read a couple verses. Verse 12 and 13, Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Aren't you the eternal God? My God, my Holy One, you're holy. We will not die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. That's the Babylonians. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Again, God is confronting his answer to Habakkuk. Uh, is an answer. It, it does say, I am going to deal with the problems, the troubles of your world. But the way that I go about it, it's going to be utterly shocking to you. It's unthinkable, really. It's unthinkable to you. You ever been in that place where God seems to be or maybe isn't answering at all, it seems, or he's silent, and yet then what he does seems to be unthinkable? In this case, he's basically using Judah's own enemies to bring about God's justice. And that seems totally counterintuitive. And so the first things that we see in Habakkuk when we're facing our confusion is we see something about God and we see something that's very true about all people of faith all the time. We're wrestling with this, aren't we? That God is often, his ways are often mysterious and his ways are easily misunderstood. Habakkuk is a prophet. He's someone who walks and talks with God all the time and yet even this cap, uh, shows him or, or catches him by surprise. And that's true for all of us, including your pastors. We don't always know. What God does can seem utterly surprising, even unthinkable. But I want to propose to you that in the confusion, in the confusion that we have, we are being confronted with something through Habakkuk and really through much of the Bible that God wants us to see about the life of faith, the life of walking with him, even in troubling times, maybe especially in troubling times. See, God often works through the unthinkable, doesn't he? Think about Noah. 
God tells Noah to build a boat in a place where there's no water. And many years go by, people laugh and mock Noah until a massive flood comes that wipes them out, but Noah and his family are saved. Or God tells Abraham and Sarah that, that he's going to bless all the families of the earth through his family. But the thing is, Abraham doesn't have a family. Him and Sarah are barren. They've never been able to have kids. And God says, I'll give you a child. And yet, 25 more years go by. They're so old by the time they actually have their son. God does the unthinkable with unthinkable people. Over and over again, God's ways are so mysterious. He seems silent, which is so troubling. And yet, it turns out he's working all along. But then what he's working on and the way he's going to do it seems so counterintuitive and often confusing. God's ways are mysterious, uh, as Isaiah 55 puts it. God says, well, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is mysterious because he's in a league of his own. God is easily misunderstood because like Habakkuk, Habakkuk prays saying, Lord, I think I know what you should be doing in this, Lord, in this world and what you should be doing in my life. And yet you're not doing it. And Habakkuk, or God tells Habakkuk, well, I am doing it, but I'm just doing it in a way that you don't understand yet. You don't understand yet. God is mysterious and easily misunderstood. And the assumption that we have many times is that that because God, this is where the people of Judah were. So the people that Habakkuk is living with, his, his country, this group of people that is in very troubling times. They are the kind of people that are essentially, if they were thinking of their relationship with God, they'd say, look, we're not that bad. Surely God wouldn't want troubling things to happen to us. He loves us too much. He'll only give us what makes us happy. God loves us. Well, they also deeply misunderstand how God works. Because over and over again, when God delivers people, when God saves people miraculously, they very soon, very quickly find themselves in trouble again. And it's often brought on by their own misunderstanding of God. Just like the people of Israel, God brings them out of Egypt. The lowest nation on the earth is brought and delivered out of the most powerful nation on the earth. Yet within three days, they're complaining. They're saying, why can't we go back? They've been in slavery for 430 years, and yet they want to go back. Why? It's because they misunderstood God's salvation. They're in the desert wandering, and God says, well, this is where we're going. We have to leave. We're going to go on a journey. We have to get out of here to take you to the promised land. But they just want to go back into slavery because they misunderstand that just because God loves us doesn't mean God makes it easy for us. His goal is not us not ever experiencing hardship, but us experiencing holiness. Even Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7, the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The way is hard. So being with God, God's not a cosmic, cosmic butler who just makes our life easy and gives us everything that we want. What he gives is exactly what we need, which is holiness. Habakkuk said that, God, my holy one, I don't understand. Does this fit with your holiness? Do these troubling times fit with who you are? And God says, absolutely. Because I can do unthinkable good from unspeakable bad. This is what he's done over and over again. In fact, you won't understand the scriptures at all unless you see this pattern. Think about Joseph. 
Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. But many years later, Joseph had become the second most powerful person in Egypt, and he saved many nations from famine. And when his brothers are starving and come to him, he not only forgives them, but says, See what you intended for evil, selling your own brother into slavery. God intended for good. Or with Job, when Satan destroys Job's life, what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good because God not only restores Job tenfold, but he also restores all of his friends and his other family. God is always doing the unthinkable. His pattern is to take the worst scenarios and make them turn out for good. In fact, isn't the whole story of the Bible leading to the one great story about Jesus? in which Jesus himself, God there, shows the ultimate way in which he is working all things for good, that he takes troubling times and even confusing times, that he is mysterious and easily misunderstood. Because on the cross, Jesus dies through injustice by the Romans and the Jews in order to justify many. God uses murder to bring about the salvation of many. God is always doing something like this. So living by faith in troubling times means confronting our confusion about God. Our, our assumption is God loves me, so everything's going to go well. God loves me, so he couldn't possibly lead me through troubling times. Not this troubling. Or what if things are going to go from bad to worse? It, but, but we can't do that. We can't treat God like an alcoholic who thinks that detox is going to be easy because we have a sponsor. Or that a student who thinks that the test is going to be easy because they have a professor. Or a husband who thinks that marriage is going to be easy because he has a wife. But that's not the nature of how those things work. Being saved from alcoholism, detox, is incredibly hard and painful. Taking tests is very difficult even if you have the best professor. And loving somebody else is so costly in laying down your own life that marriage isn't easy, but it is wonderful. All of these things, these deliverances that God can do, confronts us with our assumptions about who he is. And so the second thing we want to see, though, is that as God shows us something about ourselves, our assumptions about him, living by faith in troubling times makes us face our confusion with him. We also see that living by faith in troubling times means finding our true confidence and then acting on that conviction. Look around at the world. Is anyone foolish enough to bank on this, bank uh, their lives on what this world has to offer? We go up and down, up and down in history. Do you really want to bank your life on that? The question that comes up from this is, so who are you going to really trust? Who are you going to really trust? Here's the secret that God reveals to Habakkuk and to us, this great assertion about faith, is that in the midst of terribly troubling times, we believe no event, no matter how catastrophic, no matter how confusing, fails to find a place in God's loving purposes for humanity because our confidence, our conviction, our faith is rooted in the reality that God is actually still working it all for good even when we don't understand it. His thoughts, his ways are higher than ours. If you go to chapter 2, verse 3, God is speaking again to Habakkuk, and he says, the revelation awaits an appointed time, the revelation of what he's going to do, how he's going to bring them out of these troubling times. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not de delay. That's it. That's our, our true confidence. The heart of faith, the true faith for a Christian is to watch 
and wait with anticipation and expectation at what God will do. Will do. He says, though it lingers, wait for it. It seems like it's taking a long time, but wait for it. He says, it will certainly come. He will certainly work his good through even this bad, troubling time. That's, that's faith. Trust that what's most certain is God's good purposes, that God is actually bringing a glorious kingdom. Do you see that putting more stock in, in what, or that's the question, right? Are you going to put more stock in what you see going on around you or what God has promised to you? Because neither of those things do you see yet. You, don't, you can't guarantee what's to come in the world. You don't know. So to say, oh, it's just going to get better. We don't know that. It might get worse before it gets better. But God promises that even if it gets worse, it will eventually get better, at least ultimately. If it doesn't happen in your lifetime, it will happen in eternity. So what matters is whether I accept God's rule, God's kingdom, God's purposes. My confidence is in him, that he is actually so sovereign, he can work everything in history. He raised up the Babylonians, but later he punishes the Babylonians for their evil. So God can work everything within history towards his own end, his own kingdom, his own promises. So the call of, in Habakkuk is simply, not, not simply to have faith, but to live by faith. That having this confidence in God, that he is actually able to work all things for good, that he can take even the worst scenarios and turn them out for good, he can make our troubling times become even triumphant times. And that may not happen in our lifetime, but it will happen in his eternal glorious kingdom. Being saved by grace through faith includes this call to live by faith. And so two things to close. Watch and pray. Watch and pray and wait on God. Watch and pray. Habakkuk, what did we see him doing in troubling times? He is, it's like reading his prayer journal. We see that his first response in troubling times is to take all of his life to God in prayer. Everything to God in prayer. He complains to God. He questions God. He challenges God openly. He cries out to God. And this is a great example of a life lived by faith, lived in total dependence on God rather than on ourselves. Our first decision, our first action in every troubling time must be to take everything to God in prayer. We ask him to show us, Lord, I'm all out of sorts. I'm confused. You seem mysterious and I don't understand what you're doing. I'm out of sorts. Would you sort me out? Help me, Lord. I don't understand what's happening in this world, in my life. Much of what's happening really doesn't seem to fit with my expectations of you, my assumptions of you, but rather than turning from you, Help me to turn to you, to trust you, and to see that it's most likely me that is misunderstanding you. It's most likely me who is quick to run away from trusting that you're working all these things in actual good ways. Despite the confusion in these troubling times, Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at the watch post. I will station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Like in an ancient city, like a watchman or a guard stationed on the high tower looking out for enemies or looking for another army who's coming to help save them from a siege, Habakkuk says, I will take my stand. Will you take your watch, take your stand with God, watch and wait with him? Watch for what God's doing. And what does he say? He's not watching for God necessarily just to change the circumstance. He says, I will watch for what he will say. What is he watching for? God's word. 
The Christian faith is one in which we see through our ears. We see through our ears because faith, as Hebrews 11 puts it, is confidence in what we don't yet see. Look, you're not, uh, you don't need to have hope that the bus is coming if the bus is already there. But when you're at the bus stop and the bus hasn't come yet and you're wondering, oh, did I miss it? Well, then it shows up. Your hope is fulfilled. You didn't miss the bus. Now you can get to where you're going. But you don't need that hope if the bus is already there when you get there, right? So the same is true for us. We, we're watching out for God's word, which is pointing us towards hope that over and over and over again, the story is God will take the worst things and turn them out for good. But many times we don't see it yet. We're still in process. So we have to watch and wait, going up on the tower We can share our frustrations, our fears, and our complaints with God in these unknown, uncertain, troubling times. But mainly what we then do is we leave our problems at his feet. We leave our troubles before him in prayer, but then we turn and watch for his word. Faith leads us from what we see in our world to God's word. We watch through hearing and reading God's word, the ways that God works even in troubling times. But then we go from God's word right back into the world. We don't flee. We don't run away. We neither run from God nor we run from our troubles because we are watching and waiting expectantly for him to act. Whether he does that in our lifetime or not, the great hope of the Christian is that Jesus has done what we have most needed. And so every outcome is already determined to be glorious in the end when you are with Christ. The only way to locate our true confidence our true conviction, our true reason for faith is to look at Christ. Because over and over again, the New Testament or the Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament where Jesus is called the revelation of God's mystery. If you are feeling that God is mysterious and easily misunderstood right now, the place to look is ultimately to Christ. He came, he entered into troubling times on earth so that we could enter into triumphant eternity with God. Jesus entered our greatest troubles so that we could join him in glorious triumph. That's the story for us that goes way beyond. It supersedes every circumstance we might see in front of us. When we look at God's word, we see that living by faith means trusting that Jesus has accomplished through his suffering more than enough for our salvation. While we are confused by our troubles, we are looking for a way out from them. Jesus wasn't confused by the terrible trial that he would face, and yet he didn't look for a way out of it, but for a way into it. He wanted to go to the cross. He put himself into trouble so that he could take us out of ours. The promise is that one day we will be with him in triumph if we wait patiently for him now in our troubles. One final example The Apostle Paul gives a great example of what it means to go up onto the watchtower as a believer, to go up into the watchtower when everything around you is troubling and falling apart. What does it mean to go up into the watchtower? In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul shows us how to humble ourselves to have faith by waiting on God, watching for God, getting up into the watchtower, which gives us perspective, the perspective of faith. While living in very troubling times, Paul um, yet thinks or, or he, he sees not only with his eyes what's going on around him, but he sees with the eyes of faith. He says in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. This is a watchtower perspective, a kingdom perspective. He waits on the Lord and he sees that the Lord shows him, reminds him, 
there's a kingdom coming that's filled with glory that's so great it can't even be compared to the sufferings now the pain of now will seem like absolutely nothing compared to the glory that is to come. Paul goes on to say, For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not yet see. So we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. You don't need faith and hope if, you're already, if you already have the things you believe in and hope for. But if we have this final glory of God's kingdom that's not yet here, but we look forward to that glory by faith, then we can be like Paul and, and say in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly our circumstances are troubling times, we are wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is is eternal. When we cannot see what is coming, when everything in our lives looks like the opposite of the glorious future that God has promised his people, when it seems that God is silent and he is not acting, and you and I are confused with what's going on, Paul and Habakkuk all together agree that the only way to live our lives is based on confident trust and persevering conviction in God's promises for a glorious future. Why would you bank on what's happening in the world when what's happening in the world is what brought us into these troubles and confusions in the first place. Living by this conviction that God can take even the worst and most troubling times and turn them out for good and triumph is the conviction of the Christian. Brothers and sisters, living by this conviction changes you. It makes you the kind of person who can live with a confident expectation even in troubling times. God's promises and his purposes are far more permanent than our troubling times. Do you believe that? As the Heidelberg Catechism says about God and his sovereignty, all creatures and all things are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. They can neither change nor be changed. Therefore, because of this great sovereignty of God, God who actually can orchestrate all history to his glorious purposes, therefore, we can be patient when things go against us thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. God, we thank you, we praise you, that nothing can separate us from your love, that even in confusing times, you are teaching us what it means to walk with confident faith and to act on our deep conviction, coming to you in prayer, watching your word to again see how to correctly interpret history and then going back out with the confidence that whether we live or die, whether we succeed or fail, our ultimate life and our ultimate glory are already secured in Christ. We praise you and we thank you and we pray this in your name.